Let's pray. Our God, we thank you so much that we could gather this morning in your name to to praise you, Lord, to sing of your great salvation. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much that you are so faithful each and every day to to make yourself real um, to us, to walk with us, to be with your people. And we thank you, Lord, for the privileges that we have uh, to die more and more each and every day to our sins, to, to put to death those things that seem and to, those desires that seem to control us and, and the sin that seeks to master us. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But pray, Lord, that we might even grow more to trust you, to walk in faith and hope and love. Lord, that we would love you more. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would open our hearts to your word that is preached. Lord, we pray that it would not, there would not be a barrier. Lord, that your word would not come to our ears and then quickly drop away. But I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our souls today to look to you, to trust in you, to love you more. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're, we're sort of past the new year, but it's still fresh enough in our minds that, you know, as we think about the new year, we oftentimes think about sort of new starts, sort of a, a chance to, to start anew and afresh. And, and isn't it interesting how we sort of use the new year to sort of reflect and to evaluate our lives and to see if there's any necessary changes that might need to be made. And that, that can be appropriate for us to do as a church too as well. To sort of use the new year as a time of, of reflection and evaluation. And I know for me personally as I've been reading God's word and studying. And, and there are just certain things that the Lord has been challenging me with. And, and things he's been reminding me of. And I want to sort of pass those on to you. And so I'm doing so in sort of this uh, for lack of a better term, in a mini-series called Basics for the New Year in 2020. And uh, these are just things that I want us to be to have on our minds as we go into this new year. And the first we talked about last week was what it means to be a gospel-focused church. You know, the importance of being a gospel-centered church. That is a church that exists, understanding that God's electing love and the powerful work of His Holy Spirit is the foundation for why we exist as a church. So as we seek as Kirk of the Plains to see God's kingdom expanded and to grow, that we be dependent upon him and his work in the building up of his church. And I think that's important because I don't I don't know about you, but you know, as the pastor of a church plant, people are always asking me, Well, how's it going? You know, what's happening at Kirk of the Plains? And there can be sort of this pressure to feel like, okay, well, I gotta come up with something new to say. You know, I gotta come up with something exciting, especially if people are praying for us or they're supporting us financially and stuff. And and so there can be that sense of, okay, well what what is going on? And, you know, it's, it's exciting just to be able to rest and to say, you know, God is doing a work here. God is doing a work am, amongst his people. You know, maybe our numbers are up, maybe they're not up, but it is truly evident that the work of the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of his people. And there can be a sense to just to rest in that and to know that God is doing truly a great work. Otherwise, we might be tempted to sort of work ourselves to death to make something happen here 
at the church or maybe to get discouraged if if things aren't happening quite as quickly or the way that we want. And but uh, it's good just to be reminded that we are a gospel focused church that keeps our focus upon Christ and that he is doing something here. And I think that that also helps us as we uh, function as a church to understand that we are to look to Christ to do something great. We ought not to be just satisfied with, you know, coming to church and, and, you know, and doing the things that we can do in our own strength. You know, our God is a great God. And Paul reminds us that God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. And, and what I'm praying for and what I'm excitingly looking forward to is a time when those people in our lives that we sit here today and while we say we believe that God can save anybody, there are people in our lives that we probably think, yeah, but boy, that would be really amazing if the Lord would save so-and-so. Because in our minds, we might be tempted to think, yeah, okay, yes, God can save them, but they're really a hard nut or this is really a difficult situation. And uh, so anyway, I, I just as a gospel focused church, we need to be reminded what our foundation is and that it doesn't rely upon us, but it relies upon Christ. But also that Christ is the one that bears fruit in his church, that, that he causes our faith and our hope and our love to grow in him. And so we bear fruit for his glory. And so as we come into this new year, I want us as a church to be expectant. I want us to be prayerful about what it is that, that God would do. And it may not be spectacular. You know, I think when we think we're praying expectantly, it's like we're expecting all of a sudden next Sunday we're going to come in and this place is going to be so packed with unbelievers and Pastor Rick's going to preach and people are just going to weep over their sin like Jonathan Edwards, you know, be grabbing the pillars. We don't have pillars, but if we had pillars, they'd be grabbing the pillars and weeping over their sin. And it may or may not happen that way. It may be a more quiet work of the Holy Spirit, but praying that God would bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and he would cause us to grow in faith and hope and love. Another thing that the Lord has been, uh, uh, basic truth that the Lord's been uh, dealing with my heart about is the place of prayer in the life of believer. And I know for all of us as Christians, to some degree, we understand our need of prayer. And, but I think as I talk with Christians, that's also an area that a lot of us think, boy, I wish I could pray more or I could uh, pray better. And so for me to stand up here and to talk about the need of prayer or uh, for uh, me to exhort us to pray more is, is probably not that helpful. I mean, we've all heard of sermons or lessons uh, where there's illustrations given about Christians who get up at 4 a.m. every morning and they pray for three hours before breakfast you know, and we, we hear those things and, you know, we're thinking in our minds, my goodness, I can barely pry myself out of bed before breakfast. Or, you know, I get up and I'm taking care of the kids and trying to get everybody ready. So how am I going, you know, you know, it's hard to do that, let alone to have hours and hours of prayer beforehand. And so when we hear sermons like that, they are often not very liberating. You know, oftentimes, if nothing else, there's a lot of guilt that comes in. And we may actually be tempted to, to sort of give up altogether before we even start as we hear those things. And I know for me recently, I, I've, I've been reading a book by William Phillip entitled Why We Pray. Why We Pray. And, and in that book, he makes the point that, that too often Christians talk about the need to pray rather than looking at what the Bible teaches about the nature of prayer. 
So we talked about the need to pray rather than the nature of prayer. And, and he challenges his readers by saying, he says, the most important question to ask first about prayer is why? Why do we pray? Not why should we pray, but why does prayer exist at all? Why is there such a thing as prayer? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Sometimes those things that are so basic, we don't even question. But prayer is speaking to God. But And if we think about it for a moment, why should there be any such thing as us speaking to God? Why would God want us to speak to him? And why would God need us to speak to him if he controls all things as he does as a sovereign God? I think these are good questions and ones that we ought to, to think about. So, you know, I want at least for today, maybe uh, next week as well, to, to be looking at this question of why we pray. And, and let me suggest to you this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 1 that we pray because God is a speaking God. He is a God who speaks to his creation. He is a God who reveals himself to his creation. So at the most basic fundamental level, we pray because God is a speaking God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said. And then as we read the rest of that chapter, we see that God is speaking everything into existence by the word of his power. And it's all very good, we read at the end of Genesis chapter 1. And, and as God created the world, he did so in perfect relationship um, by him speaking. You know that our God is a God who's not a distant deity. He's not aloof. He's not far off. But he is a God who's involved intimately and totally with everything he makes. And, and we see this throughout scripture. I mean, we see this in, in the sparrows that, that fall to the ground that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. We, we, we see it in the very hairs of our heads as the psalmist talks about how God knows the number of the hairs on our heads. Now, for some of us, that's a less number than others. But still, nonetheless, he knows the number of the hairs of our heads. He, he created the hills and the valleys and the rivers and everything. And so God is not only in perfect relationship with his creation as his creator, but his creation speaks back to God um, and declares his glory. Look at Psalm 19.1. Psalm 19.1. Uh, actually, the whole first half of this psalm is a, a declaration of God's creation to his praise. But even just look at verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You know, as creation does that which God created it to do, it is saying, look, behold the glory of God. See how God has made his, his creation. But as we, as we look back at Genesis chapter 1, and particularly at the end of the chapter, verses 26 and 27, uh, we see that, that mankind is sort of uniquely made you know, and in Genesis 1:26, God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." 
And then down in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, so he made humanity uh, after the image of God. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, I'm not going to get into that all today. But among other things, it means that we as humanity are relational, just like God is. I mean, we see uh, in the Old Testament the oneness of God being emphasized. In the New Testament, we also see in that oneness that he is three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 1, we see that the Trinity is, has existed since before the creation of the world and that God lived in relationship with himself. And so he's a relational God, but not only in relationship with himself, but we also see that God is a God who lives in relationship with his creation. In Genesis 2, verses 15 and following, it talks about how the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you know, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, God is not that aloof God. He is a God who communicates with his creation. He speaks. He reveals himself. He reveals his will to his creation. And so, therefore, it doesn't surprise us as we continue to read in the Old Testament that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God who establishes a relationship with his, with his people. And so there's that sense of relationship. But we also are made as human beings to communicate. And, and because we are made in the image of God, our words have power as well. Now, not power like God's words have power. God spoke and there were things created out of nothing. But still, our words are very powerful. And I don't need to prove that to you because you know. You say things to people and it encourages them. You know, have you ever run across somebody who was very discouraged and you said some, just the right thing to them? And they were like more lighthearted because you said that. Or maybe you said a criticism to somebody and you just watched their spirit wither within them. Well, God's word talks about that. In Proverbs, we read a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Or, or Proverbs twelve eighteen that says there is one whose rice words are like a sword thrust. In other words, the rice words that they speak are like shoving a sword into you. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. And, and, and so we, we see that. And, and we express our relationship oftentimes through that communication. And, and God does that too. And, and if you think about it, just uh, consider how crucial communication is to, to humanity. Um, there's been studies that have been done where they've taken babies and they've not communicated with those babies. They've not given them affection. They've not given them love. They've not given them human touch. And as a result, many of them either did not develop well or some even died as a result of that. Because part of that is, is that sense of speech, that sense of communication and relationship with others is, is part of who we are is being made in the image of God. And I also think about uh, POW prisoners, prisoners of war in Vietnam and others. They would take those prisoners and what would they do? They would put them in individual cells and they would isolate them from one another and deny them communication to sort of break them so that they might get information from them. So as human beings, we are made for relationship and communication expresses that relationship that we have with one another. But that's also true 
I want you to see with our relationship with God. And in Genesis 1 and 2, it sort of paints a picture of a of perfect relationship where God puts mankind in the garden in perfect harmony to work it under his direction. And he gives Adam and Eve commands and they obey those commands and they live in fellowship with him. So now what does that have to do with prayer? Well, prayer comes from who God is. Okay, prayer is not simply a technique or a method to be applied in our communication with God. We oftentimes when we think about uh, praying, we think of in terms of like the acts method, adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. And, and that can be helpful in prayer. Um, but but it's not all there is to praying. And, and we can go through the motions of those methods and through those techniques and yet never pray to God. Prayer also is not simply just talking to God in hopes of getting our desires and our wishes fulfilled as well. You know, we talk about God's not a big vending machine in the sky. You know, it's sort of that idea. But, but actually, prayer flows from a relationship with God. Why do we pray? We pray because God exists. And He is a God that speaks to us. And as He speaks to us, He expects us to speak back to Him. You see, he reveals himself to us through his word, and he speaks to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't know who God is. But, but also, as we read in his word who he is, then God expects us to live life um, in light of that word, what he's revealed to us in his word. And, and so, um, God walks with us through the circumstances of our lives. And sometimes those circumstances are rather difficult. And sometimes when we pray to God, he doesn't always give us an answer to prayer. And it's not because he's not wanting to give to us. I think we have to understand God wants, God desires, God will give us what is best. But sometimes the desires that we bring to God are rather shallow. And sometimes they're rather... uh, Maybe they're rather self-centered. And, and God sometimes does not answer our prayers because he wants us to be enlarged in our desires. He wants us to grow. He wants us to see that there is something greater that is there that he wants to answer. And so, so that he can give to us more largely than what we're initially asking for, sometimes he does not answer our prayers. So if we want to learn more about prayer, um, we do so by understanding more so who God is. It is from his character and it is of his nature. And as we see God more fully for who he is, it is natural then for us to respond to God in prayer by faith. So do you want to grow in the practice of prayer? Do you want to learn about prayer? Then I would encourage you to learn about who God is. To understand his character and his nature. So I want to ask us this morning, what truths have you learned about God that have impacted your prayer life? What, what are you doing to feed your soul in knowing who God is? What are you doing to, to help your children to grow in their understanding of the nature and the character of God? And that comes from instruction 
in God's word and, and teaching them what God's word says. But but also it it it, it comes as um, as we read in God's word, as we walk along the wayside and as we're teaching our children along the wayside, as we are experiencing life and you can be encountering circumstances in your life and, and that may be even confusing or may be difficult. And you can this, those are teachable moments that God gives you to teach your children to say, remember what we read in God's word about who God is? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what it looks like. So let's. Let's get on our knees and let's let's pray to God. Let's cry out to him, looking for him to work. And so as we see him, um, as we as we think about prayer, it really is grounded in the nature of this triune God. And as you see him as he is, prayer becomes a natural reflex. So God is speaking to us and that's why we pray. But if as you look at this account in Genesis 3, we all know what happens in chapter 3, that Adam and Eve sinned against God. And, and it talks about uh, how the Lord God in verse 22 and 24, how he, he banned them from the garden. It says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of the knowledge a tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so tragically, man is shut out of the Garden of God because of his sin. But that means he's shut out from hearing the voice of God. Uh, he's banned from talking to God and that daily intimacy with God. And mankind in his sin, he didn't want to listen to God anyway. He puts his fingers in his ear and he says, I don't need to listen to this. You know, I, I hope this is not the case in your household. But sort of the stereotype of a rebellious, of a teenager is that they're rebellious. And, and you may have experienced this or, or seen this or heard stories about this where a teenager comes in the house and has angry words with his parents. And next thing you know, there's sort of this fight that, that ensues. And the teenager just sort of storms off and slams their bedroom door and cranks up the music really loud. What's the message that that teenager is trying to send? I'm not going to listen to you. And that's really where humanity finds himself, that he has rejected God. He has said, I don't need God. I'm not, I'm not listening. But the beauty of what we see in the scripture is that God doesn't stop there. Even though, as you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18, through chapter 2, verse 5, it really describes the heart of rebellious man and how God has given uh, mankind over to the depravity of their own sin. It, it, uh, Romans doesn't stop there with those chapters, but it goes on to talk about how the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the gospel is of God who from the very beginning determined that he would say to rebellious humanity, I want you back. I want, I want you back. Now, now think about that for a moment. Uh, we know that when a relationship is destroyed by unfaithfulness, and let's just take a marriage, okay? Because I think our when we think about our unfaithfulness to God, we can be tempted to sort of downplay that as if that's no big deal. But let's just think about a husband who's cheated on his wife. And he's had an affair, maybe with multiple women. Okay, that husband 
does not have the power nor the right to come back to his wife and say, you know what, let's just forget that, let's just move on. Does it? He can't do that. You know, it's impossible for the guilty party to simply reinitiate that relationship because there's a cost that comes with that reconciliation and it is the cost of forgiveness. But the truth is, is that only the wronged party, only the wife can come back to the husband and she can say, you know what, I'm going to bear the cost of that forgiveness. I'm going to release you from that debt that you owe me. And I'm going to say to you who has mistreated me, yes, you can come back into that relationship. And we see that with a wife who forgives her husband and we think, wow, that's amazing. But just think about the, the extreme greatness of what it is for a holy God to do the same with us. Even though there's this terrible rift with us that he says that I will bear the cross and I will bear the cost that you may once again be the creation that I made you to be. To be with me and to know me, to be able to converse with me and commune with me intimately so that, that we can, um, so that we'll be able to, to, to answer God, that we could hear him speak to us and we could then respond to him. And that's what God has done in his wonderful grace. He has paid the penalty for our unfaithfulness. And God said, I will bear the cost because I want you to know me again. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to rejoice in speaking to me again and coming to tell me of all the things that you want to have a relationship. And so God, as we see throughout Scripture, spoke to Abraham and he spoke to Isaac and he spoke to Jacob. Even though man was cast out of the garden and man did not pursue God, God pursued man. And and. And God did to countless others as well. And he spoke to them. And, and with some, like Moses, we read in Exodus thirty-three eleven that God spoke to him face to face. There was that kind of intimacy that was there. And all these spoke with God because they knew God and they walked with him, as the Bible says, by faith. Now, how do you know that, that Abraham had faith? Look at Hebrews chapter uh, 11. Hebrews 11. I'm amazed at how many times we end up in Hebrews, even though we haven't gotten to Hebrews yet. Uh, Hebrews 11 in, in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And then it talks about how he went by faith and he, he, he lived there. So we know that he had faith because he obeyed God when God called him to go. When God spoke to him and told him to go out to a place, he responded um, by doing so. But there was a, um, that was sort of a, a visible expression of Abraham's faith. In, in obedience to God. But the audible form of his faith, of his real and living relationship with God, was that, that he talked to God. And back in Genesis chapter 12, and verse 8, we read that Abraham responded, that he called upon the name of the Lord. As God came to him, as God revealed himself to Abraham for who he was, then Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, he prayed. And so the Christian life is both this expression of a visible form of our faith through obedience, 
but also a, an audible form or expression of our faith through prayer to God. And so uh, prayer was that audible form of Abraham's faith as it is all of our faith. Um, and so that's God's call to us. That's why we pray. Because the Lord God gives us faith in Him. And, and as we have faith in Him, then we respond to His character and what He reveals to us about Himself. Who He is and what He has done. And so prayer can take the form of praise and thanksgiving to Him as we rise up each morning as He is our Creator and we recognize Him for His character as our Creator and that honestly, if it was not for God, we wouldn't be here today. If, we, if He had not given me the breath I just took, I would be dead and I would be in heaven. So even every breath is a thanksgiving. So you see, brothers and sisters, that prayer becomes just the natural reflex of, of a Christian. That throughout our day, we pray. That we give thanks to God that as we meditate upon who He is. It is the inside reality of faith coming out in audible form is what prayer is. And so uh, let me ask you this morning as we come to the Lord, are you a praying person? I'm not asking you, do you say prayers? Because anybody can say a prayer. But are you a praying person? Are you responding from the very bottom of your heart in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God's call to you in the gospel of Christ? Are you answering audibly and visibly the God who has called you out to trust and to know the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're doing that, you're praying. And so I want us to see this morning, I think so often we think about prayer only in terms of a duty. I ought to pray more. But I want you to see this morning that actually prayer is a great privilege. It is, it is the work of God's grace in the life of a heart whom he has taken, a heart that is hard and sinful and who he has made new and who has created and whom he has revealed himself. And he says to that heart, respond to me in faith. Do it audibly. Pray. Give thanksgiving. Lift up your request to me. When you're wrestling and you're struggling in your faith, Maybe thinking that I may not keep my promises. Cry out to me and ask God to work. And he says, I want to hear your prayer. I expect to hear your prayer. If you're doing that, you're praying. But until you do that, well, you can say all the prayers you like, but you're never really praying. Because praying is answering the wonderful call of God that is at work in our life. And it's never too late to start really praying. Um, because the Lord hears our prayers and he wants us to be an answering people to him. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we meditate on God's word this morning. Almighty and sovereign God, as, as we read your word, sometimes we just take for granted the things that you have showed us. And even to think that you are a God who reveals himself. You are a God who speaks to his people. Lord, we just think, well, yeah, sure, obviously, of course. But Lord, that's a magnificent thing. And we praise and thank you, God, that, that you are a God that does these things. And Father, we thank you that we can respond to you and to the things that you reveal to us and, and talking to you and praying to you. Lord, we think about 
the Apostle Paul, and as he's giving this great treatise in the book of Ephesians about what it is that, that you have done and the great salvation that you have given to your people, something that you've thought about even before the creation of the world, and that you have chosen those in you in your electing love. And, and Paul just can't take it. He just, as he sees the magnificence of the greatness of, of his God and what you have done, Lord, he had to burst forth into praise at the end of chapter 1 to, to pray to you. And then, Lord, once again, as he comes to chapter 3, he does the same thing. Lord, let us be those kind of people. Lord, let us grow in our understanding of who you are. Lord, I pray specifically for the heads of the households in this church today, that they would give themselves to the task and duty and the privilege this year to instruct those in their homes about who you are, God. And, and I pray that you would cause the blinders to come off of our eyes and for us to see you more clearly. And may we respond to you, Lord, with um, heartfelt praise and worship and prayer and declaring who you are. We thank you, Lord, for these things and this privilege and pray these things in your name. Amen.